Aid package makes two quarts of Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, nine great flavors to drink you love. Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, for the very best drink you ever made. Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, be sure that the envelope says Kool-Aid. Are you scared to death that someone's going to figure out that you have no idea what you're doing? If you are, or you feel this way at certain times in your life, you're not alone. There was a study done that found that 20% of people feel like an imposter. And it's not just at the lower levels either. The study found that imposter syndrome is common from the lowest levels of a company all the way through to upper management. And it's probably even a higher percentage than that, because as they noted in the study, those with imposter syndrome tend to downgrade themselves. In other words, the very nature of imposter syndrome makes it really hard to study imposter syndrome. There are also a good number of super successful personalities and celebrities who famously come out worrying about whether they'd be found out to be a fraud. Tina Fey, actress Kate Winslet, author Neil Gaiman, Tom Hanks, Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook, even marketing guru Seth Godin has written about feeling like a fraud from time to time. And so, one of the things that will become more prevalent as content marketing becomes, well, a thing, either in your life or in the life of your company, is that you'll increasingly have to put yourself out there. You'll have to accept that you're a thought leader, a leader of thought, or that you have an opinion that might not be widely held, or that you're actually in charge of leading a transformation of a brand from A to B or onward to C, D, E, or F. It's going to be you. You'll have to remember that being wrong isn't being fake. And you'll need to understand that just because you haven't won yet doesn't mean you shouldn't be in the game. And you also need to know that, guess what, nobody has all this stuff figured out. And even if you had it all figured out, it still doesn't mean you won't fail from time to time. There are plenty of world-renowned experts who have failed at their chosen practice. The whole point is that as you try, as you work toward, as you move forward, just try and do something better the next time. Realize you're not an imposter. Just remember that every single thing that works now was built by someone who broke it first. And that's the theme of our show today. Succeeding at the thing that we have no idea what and how we're doing it, or failing at the familiar because we know too much. And now it's time for us to acknowledge that we are not perfect and do the best we can to get our little awesome show up and going. As they say, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. So you ready for breakfast for dinner? Then let's roll. Now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 158 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Wednesday, November 16th, 2016. And with me as always, and in this time in person, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the real, genuine, 100% money-back guaranteed leader of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm, I can't believe we're doing this again. Uh, twice. Like, twice in this lifetime we're actually doing it in person it's together. It's quite odd, <laughs> I have to say. It's odd, it's even, <laughs> it's numbers. 
Uh, so this is officially our third time doing this face to face, I believe, and the second in second as many three, months in yeah. three weeks. Yeah, so exactly. that's good. Hopefully, the first one went okay. We'll yeah, start, we we decide to try it again. A bit, you know, we'll see how it goes. And we're here in San Francisco. That's right, beautiful San Francisco. Beautiful, beautiful weather we have for Absolutely. San Francisco, which is it was rare. Great. I went on a run this afternoon. Oh, it was very. That was nice. It was wonderful. It was really nice. And uh, and then you just arrived. I just I just got in. Yeah, we both we were obviously both coming from Dallas from a, another wonderful workshop. Um, fantastic crowd in Dallas, and um, of course Cowboys fans. And we had some good Mexican food, so that That's was right. awesome. And yeah, just got in, and and now we're and now we're here. Working I together. think you know, and it's nothing against the DC and the Chicago crowds, but I think that the election had something to do with it. Yes, so we just have there to make a, sure. That next time we do this, it's not during a presidential election. No, exactly. Like that the day not... before and the day after, basically, we were doing well, the you know we were doing workshops the day before the election and the day after the election, and there were clouds on both. Did you um, did you see Marcus Sheridan's review of uh, Inbound? Did I you did. happen to see that? I did. I mean, because he went. I mean, it's actually he did a fantastic yeah. job with the review. But what was yeah. really interesting was um, the the it was the day of. Like the, the day after was, yeah. the election was yeah. the opening day, right. and they had one of the speeches go a little political, and half the crowd was really excited, and half yeah. the crowd not so much. So it's uh, it's never good to to put politics into a marketing no, conference. Exactly. And I feel ba- I feel bad that they, you know, they they planned it four years ago, and that was the date, and we they didn't look at it necessarily. So. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, live by the sword, die by the sword. I know. So you got to make sure. For those of you that plan events, yeah, exactly. just a word to the wise. First Never week, do it yeah. on a presidential election right. day. If it's Ever. an even year and it's the first week of November, you might want to check. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. might want to just have a bit of a check. Well, I think that's one of the benefits for content marketing world that we have it at the same time every year. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, don't have it on Labor Day week, but... We know that we're pretty much the only thing going on that week, right? Because nobody's doing anything else. So it's always we're always right. the week after Labor Day again this year, September fifth to eighth. So thanks for getting me getting that plug in. Yeah. So do we? Uh, did we get news this we week? We did have a okay. bunch of news this week, actually, and this one is actually a breaking news. Literally within the last couple of hours, as we were flying here. Um, we got this news story. So um, big hat tip, by the way, to Nanad Senek, who uh, sent this over to us. Uh, hi, Nanad. Um, and the news is, the headline is, and it's coming straight off the wire services, basically, that MXM, which is Meredith Accelerated Media, so many of you know them as a content marketing agency. Many of you have engaged with them as a content marketing agency. And C3, one of the largest, if not the largest, content marketing agencies in Europe have now united uh, to integrate together and, and you know basically merge to form the first, as they call it, first uh, content-centric global agency network. And that is a mouthful of words, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and the article opens up by saying, two of the largest content-focused marketing agencies in the world, U.S.-based Meredith Accelerated Marketing, MXM, and Europe-based C3, Creative Code and Content, have united to form the Global Content Marketing Network, the first international strategic partnership of its kind. Responding to the increasing demands of brands that seek a single strategic partner to develop and deliver content marketing solutions at a global scale and reach, the Global Content Marketing Network offers the world's leading B2C and B2B marketers best-in-class content capabilities across strategy, creative, and technology. 
So what do you think? Are we seeing the beginnings of a, a new kind of publicist or, uh, you know, those big ad conglomerate agency things? Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? I think it's probably a good thing to to stay competitive. Well, we have somebody knocking. We're fine. Thank you. <laughs> we're just going to keep that in. <laughs> we're, we're recording this in a hotel room right now. And uh, the fact that I have to say there's two men in here and say we're fine is a little bit odd. But anyways, um, <laughs> maybe I won't cut that out. Uh, I think it's big news because I think that in order to stay competitive with what some of these major agencies are doing and the WPPs and the publicists yeah. of the world, they are getting into this. They have global networks already set up. So if you have a C3, by the way, C3 won our Content Marketing Agency of the Year yep. this last year. Absolutely. Uh, as our large agency. Uh, MXM has always been there. Yeah. You know, they're a division of Meredith Publishing. Yeah. So it's interesting that now they can go global and they can say that, you know, if you're working with a global agency that you can provide content marketing services, you know, no matter where you are, whatever the location you have in the world. The one thing that I wanted to get your take on was... I mean, I understand why it wasn't a merger, but it would seem that a merger would have made more impact than just a partnership. And I know it's probably a merger would be more difficult because MXM is a division of Meredith, the larger publishing media company. And so do you think even that was on the table? Uh, well, I'm sure it was yeah. probably on the table. The I, I think you know if you look at it and you say, well, is it the you know is it the prelude, right? Is it the prelude to something that's a little more, uh, a little more financially meaningful in terms of a, of an actual acquisition or 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 merger? And you know, I think the the, the thinking had to go something like, well. We're trying to, you know, MXM is trying to do things in Europe and they've got global brands that they're working with that are trying to do things in Europe and finding it quite hard. This I know for a fact, finding it hard to find talent and and people who can actually take on that business. And the reverse is true as well, where you've got C3, you know, as a European agency that is, you know, trying, working with global brands that have obviously a U.S. or North American uh, base and finding agencies that can cover all of that is really difficult. So the partnership makes sense to me in, in for all the right reasons. Um, I wonder, you know, the obvious questions emerge, right? Can they remain agile? Can they remain innovative? Can they stay, you know, true to the evolving practice of content marketing? The one thing I'll note that neither of them um, have st- certainly highlighted in the release was the work of strategy, right? So talking about content marketing strategy, both of them really operate from an executional basis and creating content, creating great content, by the way, mm-hmm. I, I'll say that. Um, but I would have liked to have seen a little more focus on providing global strategy, content marketing strategy, and not as much on the executional side. I think that's Overall, I think that's where the biggest gap is right now in the agency world is that there isn't enough content marketing strategy happening and it's all this executional stuff. It's where the Madison Avenue agencies, quite frankly, are falling down. And I don't want to see the content marketing agencies fall down that same hole. Well, even in Dallas, you and I had conversations with a few agencies that were at the workshop that you put that's right. on. Yeah. And we can say firsthand that there's too much focus on execution and yeah, not enough on exactly. strategy, and that is the gap. So any agency listening right now, absolutely go after 
strategy. That's right. And don't take a job unless you see their strategy or you work on their strategy. And if you're just doing execution based on what the client wants, I think it's wrong. Well, it's I, just don't be, don't don't be surprised when you get fired. Yeah. Right. I mean, because if you're only in execution mode, you're not sticky. You're not you're not actually you know leveling the playing field so that you can actually succeed. You're actually working off of the whims of uh, an on-demand nature of content and when it stops being as effective as it possibly could or when there's some small dip in the executional you know you know efficacy of the content don't be surprised when they switch you out for someone who's a little prettier or a little you know mm-hmm. a little more robust or quite frankly has a presence in Europe right you know it's like it's one of those things where having a presence in Europe and the US is a competitive advantage today but that's not always going to be the case the competitive differentiation that will that will have some lasting capability is how do you differentiate on actually setting strategy so just to wrap this up yeah doesn't this seem and we know people from both organizations so i mean i like that this came out. This is exciting. I think this could They're be... They're talented people. This could be, yeah, both this both could, these companies have this extraordinarily could, talented people. could absolutely be a big thing. But I, I look at this now that I, that I read this over a couple of times. It seems more like a Band-Aid than a long-term solution where you're going to have... And we've, we know the one... We could probably name off some of the agencies right now that are going to say, look, we're going to actually merge together and put this together formally instead of having whatever a partnership means, right? where there's all kinds of politics involved. That's right. So that's that's my concern, where you just say, then, then you're, they're going to have to come back to the table at some point and say, well, maybe we should actually formalize this, or maybe we should have, instead of going partway or a quarter of the way, sure. which is what it seems right now. Well, th- the first major client that they close together will be the the telltale sign of that, right? Because <laughs> whose whose paper does it go on? Will be That's, the you know I, that'll be a fun that'll be a fun oh, meeting yeah. to be in. What's, who gets what percentage? <laughs> who gets the commission? Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Who who puts it on whose website? Exactly. It's, yeah, it's yeah. gonna be fun. You've yeah. got all of that to look forward to, my friends. All right, let's move on to our next story, shall we? And this one comes courtesy of TechCrunch. And this one, while not directly sort of related to content marketing, I think has some real implications to content marketing. And Joe, I want to get your your take on this because so the headline here um, that comes from TechCrunch says Facebook finally admits that it must do more to stop the spread of misinformation on the platform. And this whole article is, of course, about some of the fake news that came out during our recent election cycle. And it opens up by saying Facebook has responded to widespread criticism of how its newsfeed algorithm disseminates and amplifies misinformation in the wake of the Trump victory in the U.S. presidential election yesterday. Multiple commentators were quick to point a finger of blame at Facebook's role in the election campaign, arguing the tech giant has been hugely, I don't know if they did that on purpose or not, <laughs> irresponsible, <Bingley? laughs> yeah, right? given this role the platform now plays as a major news media source, and specifically by enabling bogus stories to proliferate, many examples of which were seen to circulate in the Facebook newsfeed during the campaign. So I have a take on this as it pertains to content marketing, but what, first of all, I wanted to get your take on, so not we're not getting political here, this isn't about yeah. the politics of it, but I'm, I'm concerned about the algorithmic changes to Facebook and content. What do you think? It's so interesting that if you went go back a year or two ago, it was Facebook cracked the code because they could show feed the way that you want your feed to see only the content you want to see. And that seemed like 
That's it. They cracked it. That's right. Everything's great. They, right. They're the media company, even though they won't say they're a media company. They're right. a technology company that uh, gives content, the experience, exactly the way the users want. Now, after the election, they're coming under fire because it's, you know, we've all read the articles about we're all in our own echo chambers. We've only seen the content we want to see. So the Trump folks thought it was going to be a landslide for Trump and the Clinton folks thought it was going to be a landslide for Clinton because that's all you're seeing all day long. Right. So now it begs the question, because I want to get your take on the whole content marketing aspect, but are human fact checkers possible with the amount of news that's being created? I think you have to get, you have to have some kind of human component. And then you and I had the conversation yesterday at dinner where I can't remember which site it was, but the, the article was floated about Facebook possibly buying Snopes. That's right. The fact-checking site. That's right. And wouldn't that be something? And doesn't that make perfect sense about having some kind of... You, you have to have some component in there that's going to check about whether it's a credible site or not. Just the way that Google does, where they go and say, okay, well, are sites linking to this site? And are those sites credible sites? And if they're credible sites from multiple sources, then Google will say, okay, we're going to rank it. They don't just automatically rank news no matter... you know, If you, if you hit the right keyword density, right. it doesn't matter to right. them. So that's what Google does. What does Facebook have to do to make sure it works for them? Right, and it's even a little different, right? Because the idea of Facebook is that it's being surfaced by someone, right? Whereas by Google, it's literally lying dark somewhere, and it, the spider finds it, and the algorithm surfaces it. So even here, you've got some, you know, in other words, what, what I mean to say there is, is that it's easier to game the system than it is with Google, right? Because if you just get enough people surfacing the same article, it's really hard to figure out whether or not that's irrelevant or, and or. Uh, now, having said that, somebody, and I can't remember who it was, uh, suggested, and I thought this was an interesting suggestion, that it was, it, it should be incumbent upon Facebook to create some sort of either voting mechanism and or sort of fact-checking and or some sort of check to make sure how often it's cited by others outside of its own platform or mm -hmm. something like that to bring in some of the external opinion. I, I don't know about any, I don't know anything about that, right? You know, I'm, my whole thing is I'm going to go do the research anyway for myself and, and I totally sympathize that there's a lot of fake news out there. It for whatever reason, I sort of have my, you know, my, my mainstream or lamestream media, if you will, are sort of my sources for information. So having said all of that, my, my concern here is, is as this becomes an issue and as Facebook starts to look at it, I can't not see how it doesn't become an issue for content marketers that are trying to cover some form of Newton, maybe not politics at all, right? But, but are covering some form of opinionated, you know, thought leadership or something like that, the algorithm is going to have to take some of that into account. And I wonder if this is even another sign of a, you know, a, degra a degradation of content coming from publishers, brands as publishers, right? Just because if you think about it, you know, a brand as publisher is not going to be a recognized news outlet like the New York Times or the Los Angeles Times or the Washington Post or whatever. So it's not going to, it's going to look at sort of from the from the algorithms standpoint, a brand producing content is going to look an awful lot like a news site trying to produce something, and so it's going to be a really interesting. I don't know what the answer is, but I, but what I think is going to be really interesting to watch is is this a further nail in the coffin of using Facebook as some sort of content distribution 
in some organic way because it's just going to start to look like another fake news site, your, your content marketing. I mean, it's a good point. Well, I, here's what I think is going to happen. I think that they're going to figure out, for in similar terms to the way Google figured it out, what makes a credible site, yeah. first of all. And then if it's not a credible site to whatever those rules are, when you go and you try to link to it as a user, it won't, it won't stay as a link. And Facebook can already do this. Like if it's well, if, if it's something that you've got banned from the platform or whatever, you can't do anything. You right. can't. So they already have that technology in place, so they could do that. It doesn't. Ha- so let's go back to content marketing and your brand for a sec. That means that you're going to have to say, okay, well, we're going to have to publish this way, uh, get credible links or do whatever it is before we start to want people to share this on other platforms. We have to build our credibility other places first. Well, that's first, a good point. That's a good point. Or so, probably yeah. pay Facebook money. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it'll probably well, be. Yes, you pay the toll. Pay of the course. Facebook toll. Of course. Or, of course. Or get your site approved as part of Facebook. Right. Well, I, 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 you know, yes, of course, paying and the ads and all of that. But I wonder, so if, you know, if you've got a fan who hits your blog, reads it, you know, think think Content Marketing Institute for a second here, right? You've got Content Marketing Institute. Somebody goes on and reads this wonderful news trend about an agency, two content marketing agencies that form a partnership in Europe, and it's this wonderful news piece, and they share it on Facebook. And does that start to look like fake news because CMI isn't a quote-unquote recognized news service? I just think it's a really interesting road we're going down with them facebook at some point becoming arbiters of what real news is and it'll be it'll be a, it'll be fascinating to watch but google has already done that google, true google has already i mean so i don't know what our page rank is because they don't necessarily publicize them but we've got a pretty credible site at content marketing institute because we've been working on it for seven plus years that's right making sure it was there and you know whatever ten thousand twenty thousand links going to our site they're, they'll probably have to do something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. I mean, the, the news, the fake news sites jumping up from Macedonia. A lot of those were just started. Like it's not, it can't be that hard. Macedonia. Yeah, you haven't read that. No. Yeah, like there's there's these teenagers. This, this is the real, this is real story. Oh, okay. There's these teenagers in Macedonia that are like is like the core of a lot of these fake news sites, and they took out these domains and they created all these fake news, and they're making a ton of money. Off of advertising against it because these things are going viral. Oh my god! I'm totally That's serious. A, I, I I believe you. I just Absolutely. didn't know it was massive. Yeah, I wrote an article today that said this, this teenager was making three to five thousand dollars a month just by doing a fake news site and getting advertising against it. Oh my gosh! I know it's brilliant. Well, <laughs> I don't know. If it's, it's horrible. It's, it's horrible. It's, hor- it's, it's right. horrible and wrong, that's, but that's, it's brilliant if you're 16 years old. That's Bond villain stuff, is what that is. <laughs> that's that's there you go. All right. Yeah. All right, moving on to our next story here, um, and hopefully we'll we'll watch this Facebook thing. I think it'll be very interesting. Um, this one comes to us uh, from our friends and family over at Convince and Convert, uh, Jay Bear's wonderful company there, and also includes some other friend and family from Edison Research, uh, good friend Tom Webster from that company. And the headline here is Seven New Podcast Statistics for 2016. The article opens up by saying, Each new study that comes out shows podcast listenership increasing and podcast viability as a content marketing vehicle increasing right alongside it. 
Edison Research Lab uh, with the IAB, um, and their most recent report from Tom Webster is called the 2016 Podcast Advertising Study, and it's based on the firm's infinite dial series of reports on audio and share of ear trends. It extends research done earlier this year that I summarized, uh, that's Jay speaking, I summarized on another page, and basically found a number of things that were really interesting. What was it that stood out to you with this uh, this research well, on there's, podcasting? There's one in particular, but... I mean, it says here, for the first time, awareness of podcasting has crossed the 50% threshold. So podcasting has gone mainstream, and it took 17-plus years to get it there. Longer than that, depending on when the first... When was the first podcast? Late 90s? Sure. That's, yeah. yeah, probably. That's uh, Alan, Adam... Uh, Adam... What's his name? The MTV guy. Adam... Adam... Adam, that it's everybody in the. So many of our listeners are shouting at the screen. What is it? Right now. Just say it. <laughs> it's Adam Carolla. Adam Curry. Adam, Adam Curry. Curry. <laughs> Adam Curry. Gosh, thank you. Um, uh, so, yeah. so is okay. They've hit the fifty percent awareness threshold. Uh, most of the people that listen to, I think it was one in five people listen to something monthly, uh, and most of those people listen to it on mobile. So there's that. But my big thing was this was this stat. Uh, 25% of people follow brand follow brands on social media. 47% podcasts. That's amazing. So, so yeah, like if you are a brand and you want to build a relationship with an audience, you may start to say, "Well, maybe it's podcasting, podcasting and not best, social media." Yeah, yeah, is the best way to do that. So, That's fascinating. I mean, obviously, you and I. I mean, we we can't. Uh, we can't talk about it enough. The the number of people that come sure. up to us when we're out on the road and they say the favorite their favorite thing is the podcast. Yeah, over all the other stuff that we do. Maybe the other stuff it just stinks. But other than that, <laughs> it's a low bar. Yeah, exactly. We just jumped <laughs> over with this amazingly produced podcast that we have. A, we have our microphone sticking out of a Kleenex box <laughs> right now as we do this high production. Folks. High production value. I don't know. What did you think about? Well, that? here's the thing that I love, and it segues nicely from what you just talked about, which is. Um, 45% of podcast listeners visited a sponsor's website. And so what I take from that is that, you know, something that is completely unintuitive to me, you know, which is when you talk about a website and you say, listen, you know, here's a URL or here's what's going on, you know, and remembering that and actually going to the website is, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's something that is unintuitive to me. And I'm just so pleased to see that number, which not only means that, if you've got a sponsor, which of course we do, um, have sponsors that sponsor the podcast, and that's a lovely number for us. But more importantly, for what we talk about with the owned media experience and how podcasting right now for most, and quite frankly, even for us, is a rented land experience on iTunes and Stitcher and all the other places where we, you know, we love you very much, but we don't know who you are. We don't have your email address. We can't contact you when we want. This is absolutely a pull type of program for us, being able to pull those audiences back into our owned media experiences like a website to sign up for an email newsletter or something, that's a really good number to have. Well, it's like with any with any property that you're creating content on that you don't have control over the connections, like iTunes, yeah, like right. YouTube, you have to figure out what that call to action is for a subscription, and that's why we talk about email so much. 
and uh, and getting them to to stuff on our well, we, you know, we worked it op- we worked it the opposite way. We built the email subscriptions first, then launched the podcast, which, by the way, is easier. is so much easier yeah. to do. So that's where if somebody's just starting a podcast, it's very hard to get traction because you don't have that platform already built. It's that's much right. easier to build the platform online first and then launch a podcast secondarily. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else here that you want to touch on? Or yeah, it was uh, it was a really great. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic good. study. Fantastic it's good to go study. through the whole thing. And yeah. um, and uh, so highly recommend that both uh, both the full study and of course uh, Jay's uh, uh, wrap up uh, and analysis of it there. Okay, so moving on to our next story here, which comes to us um, interestingly enough, and maybe somewhat ironically here, um, comes from Facebook. Um, and it's one of their content platforms, actually. It's yes. their insights platform here. And the headline is, Loyalty in a Time of Infinite Choice. The article opens up by saying, They say brand loyalty is dead. They say millennials are to blame. Or maybe constant connection is exposing people to more choices than ever before. What we do know for sure is that brand loyalty still matters. And it's anything but dead. Indeed, it's actually thriving with rich opportunity for brands. Facebook IQ, which is where this article is, surveyed 14,000 adults in the U.S. taking a look at the state of loyalty today in five verticals, auto, insurance, airlines, hotels, grocery, and restaurants. We found that 77% of people surveyed are returning to the same brands again and again. 37% indicate they make repeat purchases and are loyal to companies, and 40% say they make repeat purchases but are not loyal to a company, what they would call a repeat purchaser. So, And it goes on to explain some other statistics around brand loyalty and the idea of loyalty. I think one of the coolest things here is, is that they mention content, right? They talk about experiences and yep. content-driven experiences as being a big choice. What did you take out of this? Well, I think th- I just wanted to mention that if you look at Google Think and you have Facebook IQ, it's just yeah. amazing how these big technology companies are building their own platforms targeting marketers. I mean, That's this right. is Facebook's yeah, intelligence exactly. uh, platform yeah. for marketing professionals. So it's just, when I saw that, I didn't even know it existed until you, you sent me this. I'm yeah. like, oh, good, another case I, study. Yeah, Fantastic. right. Well, it's a, it's a, I mean, we're not, it's not this old marketing this week, but it is, you know, something that, you know, it's their content marketing Absolutely. platform. It's their B2B content marketing platform, and mm-hmm. Facebook is. You know, of course, a B2B company at its heart. But the one thing it, at the end of all, they, they throw out a million stats. So it's, if you, this is important to you, it's worth going through all these statistics. But the one thing that I saw, it builds on uh, what you talked about with experience. The big issue that they found was how do you create that better experience after the sale? And I think we just I know talked, this is close to your heart. Well, we yeah. just talked about it yesterday. I mean, yeah. we, we talked about the, the 2017 uh, research benchmarks research that came out that you can get on the the research tab for contentmarketinginstitute.com that I think something like that it was 22% but it was by far the lowest number of people that were focusing on post sales communication specifically loyalty and retention and that just breaks my heart that you know, content marketing has grown up with loyalty and retention I don't want to break your heart Joe it's broken it is there's nothing you could do about it um, <laughs> the if we would focus more on that, I think we'd have a lot less heartaches because everyone's focusing on top of the funnel. And here we got Facebook saying, "Look, the key to this whole loyalty thing. One of the keys, one of the three keys, is once somebody purchases your product and service, how do you communicate with them?" That's right. 
And so that's just so key. So we talked about yesterday, somebody asked the question and we were like, look, if you're just starting this whole content marketing thing or you, you really want to excel at a certain area, it would make sense to focus on customers that already know you and already have purchased from you well, that's, first. That's, that's the, such a, it's such a critical point because it's so funny. One of the biggest questions, most common questions that we get asked is about where should we start, right? Because it's going to be a very overwhelming about, okay, we, wanna, we do want to build a content marketing platform. You know, we don't know whether it's going to be a blog or a print magazine or a resource center or a podcast or we don't know yet what it's going to be, but we want to do something and where should we start? And one of the, you know, of course, you know, if you've listened to this show at all, you know that we believe that the value comes out of that relationship with the audience, right? The audience and the subscribed nature of that audience is where you're going to derive any kind of value for your business. Whether they turn into buyers, whether they stay longer as customers, whether they give you data that helps make other parts of your marketing program more effective, that's where the value comes. And so to me, the most obvious place to start would be with the audience we know, which is our customers. Now, the challenge here, and this is really interesting, I I find, I thought, I used to think this was an anomaly, but it's actually becoming, and this is all anecdotal, folks, I don't have any data to prove this, but just... The more I'm talking with larger brands and mid-sized brands, the more I realize that their CRM system is mostly held together with bailing wire and band-aids and duct tape, right? It's there, you know, when I say, hey, why don't you start with the audience, you know, your customers and just mine out your customer, you know, your customer relationship management system and pull out those things. That's an audience, you know, and let's build an audience and let's build them into a publication and let's go. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you'd like to think we could do that. <laughs> You'd like to think we could do that, but we're you know we we can't get that information out of our CRM system because we don't have a good CRM system, or we're replacing our CRM system, or whatever it is. And so, it may not be the easiest, but it should be the easiest because it's an audience we know, and it's and it's a great place to start because loyalty is always is always a you know brand loyalty is it's you know it's that it's that same it's that old saying that. You know, it's what what is how's it go? It's like uh, it's so much more inexpensive to keep a customer you have rather than close a new mm-hmm. one. You know that whole thing, exactly. and, and that's you know we as marketers we really need to focus a lot of uh, a lot of attention there. So here's my question for you. All right, if this is a um, this is insights.facebook.fb.com. This is Facebook news. If somebody shares this on the new Facebook with their new algorithm. How do they get around being fake news or not? That's I'm just throwing it out there. Like, <laughs> so well, they have to. Ex- well, were they going to get themselves give themselves a free pass? I'm just. This is the kind of things yes. that we need to be thinking about. That's exactly well. That's exactly my point, right? I mean, you know, so what becomes because there's a list floating around right now. There's I don't know if you've seen it or not on Facebook. There's like this list that's going on. Like these are all the fake news sites, yeah, folks. You know, here it is. And there's some sites in there that are like, well, I don't agree with what they say, but I'm not sure they're fake news. They're, you know, you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it, now it all of a sudden there's going to be some arbiter of what is fake and what is not. And to your point, somebody's going to have to go fact check all that stuff. Somebody's actually going to have to be the arbiter of what real news is. A human, yeah. you know, is going to have to is going to have you know, to do I, that. This, this, is, this just happened to me last week. So one of my friends was talking about, I, I can't believe that what... Trump said was true. He said, I'm going to become a Republican because and run as a Republican because Republicans are are not as smart or right, stupid or right. whatever. And then I had to tell the guy, you know, that was a whole thing that was going on Facebook. Yeah, and I sure. had to tell the guy, I said, that's not real. That never happened. 
Right. That was fake news. Yeah. And he's like, no, it's not. Like, I saw it like a million times shared whatever. I'm like, I'm sorry. That was fake. Yeah. And that, I mean, that looked real. Yeah. And you really have to start digging. Yeah. This is a huge problem. I mean, I just, I, I wonder as historians are going to look back at this election, they're going to have to have a little asterisk and say, this was where Facebook played a role in how people felt about I really do believe they're going to write in the, the echo chambers of Facebook and maybe social media as a whole cuz Twitter played a role here too right you know I don't think Twitter played I mean I all right you may be right it doesn't seem to me when I'm reading the news and right. and all the stuff coming from Macedonia of course <laughs> It, I, it, it seems to be more it's crazy Macedonians. They, they seem to be laying it mostly on Facebook. I mean, in the Wall Street Journal today, they talked about Google and Facebook and a little bit of Twitter yeah. today as like really needed needing to do something about it. But it seems like they're laying it on Facebook more than anybody. That's it's fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating. Well, uh, well, speaking of laying it on, we should talk about an amazing, wonderful sponsor that we have to uh, to talk about that, here. It's somebody that's close to our hearts. Close, to, yes, close to our hearts. We're super excited to talk about today's sponsor is Intelligent Content Conference. Dun, dun, dun. March 28th through 30th, 2017 in Las Vegas. Now, if you want hardcore content strategy for marketing professionals, this event is for you. ICC brings together the leading experts from around the world to help you create a more scalable, workable content strategy with hopefully less human involvement. We talk about that all the time. How are we going to take all these human beings out of this process to help us be more efficient and effective? Now, if you touch your ongoing content strategy in some way, ICC is something you have to take a serious look at. You will learn how to leverage the technology today that we actually have today to create better experiences for your customers through content. And uh, Robert and I, of course, we worked out the agenda together, so we're a little excited about this year's uh, brand speaking, including the Washington Post, IBM Watson, Zillow, Red Hat, LinkedIn, and many, many more. And I can say this without even blinking, this is the best lineup we've ever had, and it's not even close. It's, this yeah. is so It's a good so, lineup. So good. Well, you know, the funny thing was, you and I were joking on the phone, we were like, how should we program the speakers for this event? And we said... Let's create a conference that we would want to go exactly. to and learn, and and it was and this was it, right? Well, this was the, and we just landed, you know, Dr. Sam Hahn from Washington Post, yeah. and he's going to talk about um, how they use predictive analytics to get more people to read yeah. Washington Post. And uh, if you've seen Washington Post's traffic for October, we talked about it on the show. Yeah, was was way yeah. above anything they've ever done. Yeah, and it's just blowing everything away. So, anyways, uh, from now until December sixteenth. The last days to get the very best rate for Intelligent Content Conference, including our pre-workshops and our special pre-conference event on marketing and leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning. So go to intelligentcontentconference.com today, sign yourself up, sign your team up. Remember, December 17th is the date that all the, I think right now you can save $200. It's a good, it's a good saving. So if you're going to sign up and we've convinced you to do that, do it before the 17th to get, some, get the do best it. rate. But do we it. will see you on March uh, 28th to 30th in, in 2017 at the M Resort. Um, it's at the do M. It. M is off strip. I love the M. So if you don't, you don't have an, if you love Vegas, it's a 10 minute ride away. If you hate Vegas, don't worry about it. You're not on the strip. So you got to come now. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was brought to you by <laughs> exactly, exactly all right ladies and gentlemen uh it is now time for your favorite part of the show it is our rants and rave section when joe and i go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel 
oh, you know, like we're feeling good, we're feeling good, we're feeling like, you know, all the things are authentic and lovely, or quite frankly, we're feeling like it's just an imposter. Okay, so I have the uh, pleasure of going first because I have this old marketing. Go. And so I have two raves, uh, very small raves that I want to talk about. The first um, is coming from McKinsey. And, of course, the, uh, we'll link this in the show notes. And, you know, one of the things that I find myself moving more and more toward is this idea of agile marketing. Um, and I'm no expert in it. Trust me, I am not an expert. There are lots of people out there who know a lot more about this than I do. But from a, you know, as I start talking with brands about their content marketing strategy and specifically around developing owned media experiences, which resembles, and I've said this before, a product development methodology much more than it does looking at campaigns and projects. What I find myself is leaning more and more in toward this idea of agile development. And so I'm fascinated with it. So I've been starting to read a lot about it and learn more about it and start to really become. And this wonderful article that we'll link to from McKinsey, of all places, um, McKinsey is usually, as you know, sort of 500,000 feet in the air and talks about, you know, things at such a high level that it's really hard to sort of get your arms around it. But this article is really, the article title here is Making Your Marketing Organization Agile, a Step-by-Step Guide. And it's a pretty long blog post, but it just basically goes, you know, not in granular detail, but really much step-by-step about how you want to start thinking about putting your team together to approach more agile Um, types of processes. And I loved it. I really, really did like it. They talk about the makeup of an agile war room where they've included things like content, right? Where they talk about having a media lead and and, and all of that and, and, and really talking about how you've got marketing acquisition, you've got content as a part of it, and just a really good article as a, and a primer really on how to build a team and a process around the agile, uh, the agile idea. So I, I really liked it. I, yeah. Um, the second one that I'm going to rave a little bit about here is, and, and this may be surprising for some of you is, is the 2016 Gartner hype cycle. So if any of you saw Joe's presentation, not this last content marketing world, but the content marketing world prior to that, um, an idea he blatantly stole from me, which is fine. That's usual. Um, I gave you credit, but everybody gave, everybody didn't see that part. They just said, "Oh, it's Joe." Of course, but that's I get. I get yeah. but side note: yeah. there are so many quotes on the web going on that says "via Joe Polizzi" that were your quotes. I know, but sorry, <laughs> I'm aware. I, my 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 you lift me my, up. My, my pillow is, my pillow is dried from the tears that I cry every night. You from... are the wind beneath my wings. Okay, oh, go ahead. Right. <laughs> anyway, so. This um, this is the Gartner hype cycle, and Joe talked about this in his keynote, which is the idea that content marketing is now in the what. And if you're not familiar with the Gartner hype cycle, you can go look it up. But basically, there's this idea of the trough of disillusionment, which is where we find content marketing right now as it sort of moves toward what's called the plane of enlightenment, or basically a functional process. 
And we find this to be very true. So we would agree with Gartner. Now, here's the thing I want to rave about because I actually downloaded the report. Because if you go, it's going to say, oh, it's for Gartner, your clients only, and it's going to cost you $5,000 or some crazy number like that to get this report. But do a little Google Foo. You'll find a couple of vendors, and I'm not going to name them on air, but you just do a little Google Foo. You'll find a couple of vendors who've made the report available. Sometimes you have to register for it. There's one that's I'll tell you on the second page of Google search results for the 2016 uh, hype cycle uh, for digital marketing and advertising that doesn't gate it. And so it's right there for oh, you. Oh, you are going to get in trouble. Yeah, so, but there's that. <laughs> You'll find the report. And it's good. It's really good. And, and, you know, for the content marketing, unlike some of the other analysts that will go nameless, <clears throat> Forrester, and, and the basically talk about content marketing in a specific way, Gartner really, the definition they use, it's not our definition, but it's a really good one. And I was really pleased to see it because a lot of people read the Gartner reports and put, you know, big enterprises put a lot of mm-hmm. stock in this. And so if you're one of those big enterprises that puts a lot of stock into the Gartner, um, in, in the Gartner services, get the report, you know, it's part of your services and look at the content marketing definition and how they, and the analyst behind it that actually talks about the pros, the cons, the difficulties, the challenges, you know, it's a couple of pages and as a, as a part of a much longer report, obviously on the, on the whole digital marketing and advertising um, landscape, but it's really quite good. They talk about, you know, creating, curating content for creating, you know, awareness and engagement and loyalty and, you know, and it's about building an audience and it's really, it's really quite good. So I was very, very pleased and just want to rave on Gartner for producing what I think is a really accurate picture of the content marketing strategy and putting it into their, into their new, um, into their new report. Do they mention audiences in there? They do. Do they really? They do. Yeah, they do. And it's a, it's a a passing reference. I will tell you that, but it's, but they do mention it. Yeah. They talk about building, you know, the idea of, you know, engaging audiences and, and talking about, you know, working toward all parts of the funnel. So it's not just about lead generation. It's not just about awareness, but they talk, they talk about the challenges with budget. They talk about the challenges with, you know, it's, it's really quite good. You know, I, I do have to, um, give a little hat tip for Gartner as well, because they came, I believe it was started coming to content marketing world, I think in 13, 13 or 14. Yeah. And they sent their people to, to research what we were doing. And, and we were, and they, they could have just like some other companies just ignored us or didn't pay to, but they really put in the time and it's, it's nice to see that uh, they're, they're kind of talking the same language. We are. It's, 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 it's great. Yeah. It's really, really good because we're right. Oh, of course. But that, that, goes, that goes without saying. <laughs> exactly. That goes without saying. All right. So I have a rant and a rave. And so I want to go back to our friends at Facebook because why not? The book face. Why not? Exactly. Uh, so where this was announced today as we record this, and, and we're recording early because of the, of the holidays coming up. Uh, but uh, they found some more mistakes in Facebook's ad and view measurement statistics. I saw this. Yeah. So according to our friends at The Drum, and we'll put the... Uh, the link in the show notes it says concerns that the social network can't continue to shun third-party measurement and effectively make markets own homework have come to a head after trust in it appeared to have been knocked following today's revelations. It admitted that bugs and calculation errors in its systems had rendered some of the metrics coming from its instant articles, video, referrals, and analytics for apps and page insights products 
Incorrect. Now, Robert, I would like to go through specifically about all the, the mistakes, but unfortunately, we don't have three hours to do that because there were a lot of them. Yeah. And the drum goes through them all and all the mistakes, and it's it's really just... Uh, wow. It's kind of um, it's kind of crazy, but well, look, you know, Facebook is going to be fine. Uh, but this, you know, what we've talked about earlier in the program, it gives users and marketers a reason to diversify their platforms away from and their content away from Facebook, at least for protection. Yes, at least to protect themselves, uh, depending on what Facebook's going to do. Now that leads to to leads to specifically to my rave, and the rave comes from Market Watch, and the title is. Donald Trump's war on media is boosting subscriptions and donations to news outlets. And you saw this as well. Now, if you're a regular listener to the program, you know that Robert and I have been critical on the media business model and, uh, and that we don't believe necessarily that subscriptions are going to be enough to help media right. um, create enough investment to adequately cover little things like covering an election, let's say. Well, it seems that since the election, media companies like the Washington Post and the New York Times are doing quite well. Uh, Let me read this for you because this was interesting. So I'm going to this article here. Now, Donald Trump tweeted on November 13th. He said, wow, the the at New York Times is losing thousands of subscribers because of their very poor and highly inaccurate coverage of the Trump phenomena. Now, the New York Times responds to that and says, fact. Surge in new subscriptions, print and digital, with trends, stops, and starts four times better than normal. Wow. Uh, and then the, the same thing in the article goes on to say, The Washington Post records nearly 100 million visitors in October, greatly exceeding previous traffic records. We just talked about that. And then if you listen to John Oliver or watch John Oliver, John Oliver uh, spent 29 minutes and part of that 29 minutes after the election going through really going deep into how we, regardless of whether you are a Trump supporter or Hillary supporter, that we should be supporting news media. That's right. And that it's important to our way of life. And so he said, hey, what, so I guess that would be my recommendation as part of this rave. I like that people are going out there and they're giving and they're subscribing and they're donating. And actually what's interesting is I think donations are going to be a huge revenue source. Not just subscriptions. I think actual donations, because people are donating to the Washington Post and the New York Times because they want to see this as well. So I think a combination of that. Maybe a um, new kind of news organization. Maybe it's fun. I know a, a friend of mine started a company like, I was like seven or eight, nine years ago that was looking at donations as a means of doing investigative journalism. Maybe yeah. that's a, maybe that's it, right? Maybe it's something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you could say that. Um, so my my call to action for everyone on this, and I'm I'm doing this as, as well. I mean, pick pick the news outlet, uh, and even in your industry news as well. Pick that's important to you and your job and your career. Yeah, and support them. Donate, subscribe. Yep. Uh, of course, we want you all to be publishers, the expert publishers in your own industry as well. But we still do need the news media around, I believe. And we talked about this last week as well. Like, I, There's a huge opportunity because the investment has gone away in a lot of cases in traditional media. And that, that hurts. I mean, that's not – I'm, I'm falling apart this episode. My heart yeah. is broken in a lot of places. But I think there's a fix here. Yeah. And we're seeing this movement. I'm glad to see this movement. I think we're going to see more of it and, and good for them. So, so I love that. So spend some time. Yeah. Support, the, support, some, support news media 
that you really believe is doing good yeah, work. Support out there. your local newsman. That's right. Yep. Exactly. All right. Fantastic. Well, those are those are those are. Uh, 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 I, I really love that. I love that. So let's uh, let's talk about it. This old marketing. All right. Um, sure. And so. Well, now, does your family so we so for those of you who um, are listening from Europe or in Asia or Australia or or South America or uh, you know many of our international listeners, this is not going to have a lot of bearing on you. But it, next week, this week, uh, really for when you're listening, is the American Thanksgiving holiday, and so we wanted that we founded this old marketing that is relevant to Thanksgiving holiday. Now, does your family do a big turkey and all that? We do uh, turkey and ham. Turkey and, and we ham. will do a turkey and ham this year. All right, absolutely. Okay. Well, my family is. I am the turkey master. Um, I basically am responsible for, and I have the amazing, amazing recipe. And before you hit me with up with the brine and the deep fat fried and all that stuff, no, it is no, <laughs> no, it is none of those things. It is it is the most amazing thing you've ever put in your mouth. So, um, and what, that's it. You're no, not no. Gonna... Oh no, no! It's a secret recipe. Oh, it's okay. no, it's 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 going to my grave. Oh. No, I'm happy to share with anybody who would actually like it. It involves bacon. Let me just put it that way. Oh, so okay. Everything good involves bacon. <clears throat> but here we go. One of the major, of course, turkey uh, providers in the U.S. is a company called Butterball, and Butterball for the last 30 years, and it's hard to imagine that this is true, but it's 30 years old, has had what they call the Turkey Talk Line, and for free. For 30 years, they've had trained turkey experts available for free for anyone who wanted to figure out how long should I cook it, what is the recipe, how do I make it, what do I do, because every year people, you know, you either get, you know, buzzed on wine and you forget, or quite frankly, it's your first turkey you've ever made and you don't want to mess it up because it's the first time you're entertaining your whole family. And they basically, it began in 1981. And they hired six home economists, they call them, to work the phones. And they were basically doing 11,000 turkey questions, 11,000 calls they did. Um, And they basically opened it up from uh, two and a half weeks before Thanksgiving all the way up to Thanksgiving. And now they do it two and a half weeks before Christmas and do it through Christmas. So they've now added, of course... They've added a ton of, of turkey workers, as they call them, the talk line. They've added Spanish speaking. Um, so they have, you know, multilingual uh, operators now that will help you through making your turkey. And here's where it gets really interesting. They've evolved the entire platform. So this is their platform, right? Mm-hmm. So they've evolved this entire platform now where now they have an app that you can subscribe to and go and get recipes and how-tos and there are videos. They have a video channel where you can actually go watch somebody make a turkey and how they make a turkey. There's a whole video channel. They have recipes. There's a cookbook. You can buy a print cookbook that actually shows you how to do this. So it's an entire platform, multi-channel, creating content across all this channel and you can actually subscribe to it year-round to get the recipes and stuff Mm -hmm. of all the things that you can do with turkey and the leftovers and all those kinds of things. And it's been around for 30 years and going strong and they've now called it, they've now relaunched it this year and they're calling it Butterball On Demand. So you've got Butterball On Demand now, which is all the YouTube channels and the and the video channels and the cookbooks, the recipes and the platforms that you can subscribe to. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're keeping of the live phone lines, which um, is now 30 years old and just a great example of this old marketing. I love, I love it as a content platform because of course you don't have to buy a Butterball turkey to, you know, they don't actually ask for a receipt or anything. 
you buy any turkey, they'll they'll answer your questions. They're just there to become the the purveyors of turkey advice. I bet you a lot of people still use the phone. Oh I yeah, I bet you they do. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've used it before. I absolutely have used the service before. I don't anymore because I'm a master turkey maker. Well, yeah. And you know, they should be. I should be on the phone actually providing the advice. You, know, you, you should tell the story that was about <laughs> two days ago or whatever we were in Dallas and you just wanted to know what types of tequila they had and they threw oh. the iPad in front of you yes. and said, here. And you're like, what? Yeah. I just, I, I want, you tell That's, me. Yes. Like, I don't need to, to go throw, scroll through this iPad. It, it was, it yes. was not a good right. Well, you basically told the story but basically what happened <laughs> was Joe and I are sitting at, at, at a restaurant and the waiter comes over and I say, do you have a nice reposado? And instead of just saying, yes, I've got a great one here. I'm going to rec- make a recommendation and bring you one, which is what I wanted yeah. him to do. He said, oh, yes. And he hands me an iPad and starts teaching me how to use the iPad. Like, And it's not easy, folks. <clears throat> it's like you have to page through and then you have to swipe this and then you have to thumb it in and then you have to zoom it in to see what you're going to order. And there's like four and a half pages of cocktails and alcohol and stuff and she's like I just want a drink and you've handed me a piece of technology that I'm, I just you know it's, just, it's like it, I was it, just laughing it's the I'm whole like, thing are about you the kidding me? it's the thing about Seinfeld right it's like why don't you just tell me the name of the movie you'd like to see you know it's like all I wanted to do was have him just tell me the name of the tequila I should be drinking so yes there that's but you know technology isn't always the answer oh god yeah it's exactly I, I so that that whole iPad thing. Now they're at every. Now it's at every airport. Like that, all I, the like. Rest, all that the I like. That I like. Well, it's that's fine. Yeah. Except that if you're really talking with somebody and you want to ask a specific question, right. don't throw technology in front no, of no. me. Absolutely. All right, so we have this week. We're together, or tethered in, and we're off for the. Ho- you're traveling for the holidays. Traveling what for you, the holidays, yeah. we go to North Carolina for the holidays. So looking to spend some time with some family, and uh, and you have. Um, well, I know you have a Cowboys game, so that's the most important thing. That that, that is that is then family and friends. Come then family and friends. That. Yes, there is there is priorities to be had. That is for absolute sure. Yeah, we're staying at home. I'm actually cooking for ten. This, oh. this is a, and this is a rarity. We're usually like three or four, you know, just a very small thing. But we actually have an orphans Thanksgiving this uh, this year. Extra bacon. Where lots of You're yeah. Gonna oh, there's going to be oh, there's going to be packs. It's measured in oh, packs man. of bacon. I'm so. And I, I'm telling I, you, there is nothing better than bacon that has been baked at 350 degrees. It oh, takes forever, man. but it's so good. Well, what I would do is just skip the turkey. Yeah, just more bacon. Oh, I do. Well, guess who gets all the bacon? <laughs> Well, uh, so we'll do that. So happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And then to you. remember, we'll be in Boston and New York the week next week. That's absolutely right. And uh, contentmarketingconf.com. We'd love to see you there. We so, absolutely there would. Go. We absolutely would. And that is it. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours for those who celebrate. This is Robert Rose and Joe Polizzi. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number 158, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes or subscribe? And when you leave us a review or when you subscribe, just let us know, won't you? Hashtag us up on the Twitter at This Old Marketing. We'd love to thank you personally for that. That's 
that's how much we appreciate your attention to our little hour of nonsense here. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. We'd love to hear them. You can also hashtag us up at This Old Marketing with story ideas and or examples of This Old Marketing that you run across. Or, you know, you can use that old technology called email and email us at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will, of course, be available in the show notes that are available on the show as we publish on Monday night and, of course, in the show post on Saturdays at thisoldmarketing.com. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.